Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the Spear Factor's first podcast ever. Big day. Big day. Big and day. our very first de- uh, excuse me, our very first guest will be kind of the guy that put the bug in my ear and started it all. Happy to do that. Uh, Mr. John Stedrum. 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 Stenstrom. Stenstrom. Close enough. It's all good. I gotta get through this English language first, <laughs> and then we could kind of, you know, maybe go from there first. Uh, John is the owner of the amazing Cast and Spear website and Instagram page. So if you're interested in some really good information, go ahead and check that out. So, all right. So let's get today going. So I guess we should start with how this whole thing started. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably get into how we went to Baja, uh, shot a whole bunch of yeah, fish. And then that was a fun trip. 14 hours there and then 14 hours back. <laughs> and then we had to talk the whole time. Yeah. So we bonded quite, quite a bit. I think if you didn't hate me after the 14-hour drive, I guess we were doing pretty good. Yeah. My wife was concerned. A little bit? Yeah, because I chat. You know, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that was an amazing trip. So, kind of how that thing started was what uh, Mister California Matt. Shout out to Matt. Yeah, big. What's up, Matt? Hope you're listening. Um, well, interest was interested in doing a trip, and I was gonna invite him just because he's always putting out good stuff, and I I feel like you know, trying to grow your friends and your community is probably like the most important thing. Yeah. Such a great thing to have friends all over the world. You got to be a, a genuine person and karma, you know, just awesome. So I invited Matt and then one of my friends backed out and then Matt, I think, hit you up yep. after that. And then, yeah, you. next thing you know, we're meeting at my house for the first time at 3 in the morning, 3.30 <laughs> in the morning to go down to Mexico with a bunch of people I don't even know. What's funny is I didn't even know where we were going in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the funniest part because I was like, Matt, nobody ever really 
said anything about this trip. I just knew I had to be at your house with my spearfishing gear at, you know, midnight after he got off work because he does DJing and stuff. Um, and then it's the best. Yeah. So I was like texting my girl. I was like, uh, she's like, where are you going to go? Like, what, how do I get in contact with you? I'm like, Matt just said it's like 14 hours into the heart of Baja. I'm like, Oh, this is going bad. That's what my wife, <laughs> I was like, this is going to be horrible. My, my, Amy was like, uh, my wife, she was like, so you're going to do what with people you've never met yeah. before ever? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's a little easier as a guy to do that, I guess, than a woman. I would never <laughs> suggest that for a woman, but it worked out. So we had great conversation the whole way down. Well, I think about. it was funny also that everybody was saying uh, – you know, we got to get past Ensenada, right? Like when the sun's coming up. Yes. And in my head, I was like, "Oh God, we're gonna get stopped," you know, and then like by some people, and then robbed or, or killed. I didn't realize it was because of the cows and the uh, oh yeah, the amphetamine truck drivers. <laughs> yeah, no. So if anybody's out there listening, that you know you're younger or whatever, and you're gonna do your first Baja trip, there's a few rules that like. Or exist for a reason, and I never break those rules. And I have once actually, so that's not true. I did once, and I almost got killed by a black cow in Baja past Ensenada at night. So if you're ever going down to Mexico, as best as you can, keep everything in your car, your surfboards, whatever you can. I don't try to advertise that we're a bunch of like Americans coming down here with all their stuff. Please rob me, kind of thing. And then the other thing is, um, is that stash your money in different locations. Uh, and then another rule is never drive past Ensenada at night because there's cows on the road and you will see them and you will not, you'll see them in the daytime. You won't see them at night right. when you hit them and that will be game over. And then also the truck drivers are driving like mad on God knows what at night as well. And so when we planned that trip, that was my main concern was just that timing wise for such a long drive to get there before sun up or to get down there just as the sun was coming up and then to, to get back before the sunset. Right. Yeah. And it worked out pretty good. And it was cool that actually when we were down there, we saw those cows yeah. trying to cross the road to be like, and that's why right there. They would just walk right in front of you. Yeah. It's pretty intense. So. I have actually a short story on that one. Um, the stash of money in different places is vital. I went down to, I believe we went Rosarito with uh, my old high school buddies. I think we were at, in college at the time, but we decided, hey, why not? It's it's late. Let's go down to Rosarito, go get a couple drinks, and then come back. By the time we were coming back, one of the guys would do the California stop at it like every oh, yeah. every stop sign and yeah. we can see the border and where it's like dude mike please just stop fully we're almost home just don't risk it yeah and he's like oh that's all fine we're right there we can see the border guards the last stop sign just rolled right through it like just california stop and go boom <laughs> pulled yeah. over and it's like you can see the american border guards just like oh god and then <laughs> They come out and start speaking Spanish. The, the cops are like, you know, where's your money? Like, if we find money on you or in your car and you like you didn't give it to us, you know, we'll put you in prison or whatnot. And I'm like, had money 
like my wallet. I was like, oh shit, when they were coming, I just threw it underneath the seat. Yeah. But, so it's like I always made sure I had a couple of uh, dollars in my, my sock and my, my pocket and I then somewhere it, in the car yeah, or somewhere. Anywhere. Anywhere. Because they always do the ticket. The ticket is how much money they find. And that's it like, it. oh hey your ticket Even, was uh 230 dollars oh yeah we had a, we had a six dollar ticket one time that was awesome <laughs> that took about two hours of convincing the guy that literally all we had was six dollars <laughs> was that true or did you it was true oh my god we were so bro we were almost to the border and we already paid the toll and everything yeah you know um the last toll yeah they're only going to take what they find so that's another good um little tidbit of information and then the other thing that I learned when I was going to uh, college with our professor, who was a, a white dude married to a Mexican girl, and he lived down there, and he said, they're always going to take you to the police station. And to young Americans that don't really understand, that's where they write the tickets. So they say that, and it scares you. And you're like, I'll do whatever. I don't want to go to the police station and end up in a Mexican jail. So you can really piss them off by saying, yeah, let's go to the police station, provided you really haven't done anything wrong. Right. Now, there was a group of guys that were drinking and driving, and they got pulled over, and they're like, let's go to the police station, and they ended up in jail for three days. <laughs> well, it was like, yeah, dude, because you were drinking and driving. Yeah, like, they still have laws. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. still rules. I definitely wouldn't drink and drive in Mexico. I would... You know, I wouldn't do it at all. Yeah, let's say that's just a, across the board. Yeah, just, I definitely wouldn't do it. Safe. There's a reason why that's a pretty solid law. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't mess around in another country like that and give them an excuse. But the bottom line is like they're you know they're only going to take as much money as they have, and then also as you have, and then also um, as far as the police station thing, that's a scare tactic, and yeah. They're going to get really pissed when you say, yeah, let's go to the police station because they're not going to get any money out of you. Right. And they'd rather just sit there and extort everybody that goes through it rather than deal with the police station. So just, uh, a, you know, a message out there to all the younger guys that have not been through that wonderful process. Well, it's good, man. I think uh, there's a lot of misconceptions of that area. And I think Mexico is very untapped still for like cool spear fishing and surfing. I mean, well, you had mentioned that when we were driving down. Yeah, I mean, all the spots we had driven past, past San Gatine, so it's just man. like, there's a kelp bed, there's a kelp bed, there's yeah. a kelp bed. Like, I would love to yeah. just have two to three weeks in an RV or some kind of, like, overlander kind of vehicle with, like, a bed, you yeah. know, just a bed and just a couple yeah. surfboards and my spear equipment and just go. I think that's, you know, something we've been kind of talking about, maybe getting some of our friends to, to do that as well. That'd be yeah, it'd be incredible. More cool. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that the whole Mexico thing, you know, um, I'd always go down to Mexico for surf trips. Right. And then what would happen is that you'd get down there and usually, you know, depending on your age, you always had like summer off. Right. So you go down in the summer. Well, everybody knows like that surfs usually south swells that come in the summertime are kind of hit and miss. Like, so the chances of going down to Baja and, and, having an off swell time I mean, if you have to plan it is pretty high so what you i would find is like you're sitting there on this beautiful beach in this beautiful country with no surf at all and you know and you're like well there's kelp over there's a rocky shoreline like why not just get in water so it was always like a surf trip combined with if it was bad weather or um no waves we would just go spearfishing i, I yeah. find that Surfing and spearfishing is definitely a, like a perfect complementary 
Like if one is firing, you go do Dude, surfing. If the perfect. other one's, yeah, it's like it's the my whole life is finding out ways to keep me in the water. No, I love it, and and that's like that's where the thing started from. Was um, yeah, you would be grumpy and irritated when there's no waves, and right. you're like, and you haven't done anything physical other than you know land based activities, I guess. But you want to be in the water, and when it's calm and flat, um, you know, spearfishing is a great compliment. And then what I found when I was younger, I used to do a lot of big wave surfing, and I would go train basically spearfishing would just train me for breath holding and, and being comfortable in the water but like train me to be able to withstand you know long hold downs and and and, um, and things like that so like i'm training but i'm having like the time of my life you know yeah. swimming around kelp forest and looking for sea bass or like whatever well this is a great segue i really want to know because i got a little taste of it um, on this long, long <laughs> a little taste, little, of, little it? taste of it. But yeah. you've said so much crazy stuff that I think people need to understand. Like, who is Brett Whitman? Like, <laughs> give 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 everybody the lowdown, man. Uh, all right. Well, I was born in Anaheim, California, in 1978. So cowboy. So I'm 40 years old. Um, I've tried to live all of my four years. I think for the most part, did a pretty good job of it. Uh, so yeah, I, um, let's say, well, I lived in Orange County since I was, till I was about 13. I always grew up surfing kind of all in, always into the ocean, always felt connected to it. And then, um, I got certified when I was 12, 12 or 13, 12. Um, so I think the funny thing about that, the first certification dive, I went out to Catalina mm-hmm. and there was a guy on the boat with these long fins and, uh, you know, had a gun with him, a spear gun. And I didn't even really know anything about it. And I don't even remember. It might have been in the late 80s, to be honest. I don't even remember. Um, yeah. And they were talking about this guy that, oh, he, this guy free dives, you know, and he doesn't even need tanks. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Like, here's all these guys that are like macho guys want to be whatever divers right and they got tanks and this they were talking about being down at 90 and this guy swimming by them at 90 you know looking for fish and so that literally i saw him i was like again i was a kid and i look out and he's on the surface you know and he's breathing up now that I know. He's breathing up and then he did a dive, see his fin go, and he goes down and they're like, there he goes, you know. And they were all kind of like funny, like, because, you know, scuba divers are scuba divers and they were all kind of like, but that's like another level, you know. <laughs> and so I remember like looking over and like being a, like a little meathead kid, I guess. I was like, well, I want to be like that. I want to be like the best in the water I can be, right? Like. And so that was the very first thing I ever heard about, like, spear fishing or diving. And I was like... Did that guy have his own gun? Like, he had his own gun. No, it wasn't even built. I don't even think it was... I wouldn't know right. even. I just wouldn't have any idea. Maybe it was a, a you know, a rife. I don't know. Mm. But I remember he had long plastic fins because there were carbon was even out there, right. you know. And, uh, yeah, so he dove down and it changed my life like straight up like i remember it in my head like it was yesterday just being a kid 
stand on the back of the boat and seeing this guy do a dive. And I was actually there diving in Catalina with my mom, um, who was like certified in the seventies or whatever. And like, so right. she went with me. Um, yeah. So that, so that was my first introduction when I was like 12 or 13. And so then not really long after that, it's funny, my parents got divorced and my dad and my brother moved to Las Vegas. Yeah. So I stayed in California with my mom at Anaheim Hills actually. Um, and then about a year, you know, I was surfing and doing all that stuff in junior high and it wasn't, I was kind of screwing up, I guess, in a way, not in school, just my attitude. So I actually moved with my dad because um, I figured my dad could control me a little better. I'm a teenage kid. And my mom was dealing with her own stuff. So I went with my dad and I lived in Vegas for four or five years, actually uh, into yeah, eighth grade. And that was kind of weird. And I would fly back every month to visit my mom and surf and Bolsa Chica Beach and Huntington and Newport and all that. And it was weird, though, because I got all my friends. I was the only ones that really were into surfing. I mean, I got certified with a couple of my buddies that were into diving. Um, but, yeah, that was it. And then basically, you know, it the, it's, this is like the longest road to, like, getting into spearfishing and surfing ever. It was then I went the opposite direction. So I was planning my whole life to, like, oh, I'm going to move back to California and be a professional surfer and all this stuff. You oh, know, was like, that serious? That was like, well, I, yeah, but I had no idea. You know, I remember I went back. Um, well, this is funny. So, yeah. So then, it, so moving on that real quick. Um, so I graduated. Uh, I got a football scholarship because um, I wanted to get the hell out of my dad's house. I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy living in Las Vegas, you know, family drama, whatever. And, I probably wasn't the best kid, I guess, but um, I was definitely driven, you know. And so I moved to, I went to West Point, New York, uh, the military academy. They got a foot, kind of football got me in there. And then I met some like amazing people there too. And I actually was like in the process of starting like the West Point Surf Club. So we could make an excuse to go surfing and like Rhode Island and things like that on the East Coast. Um, but let's say I was, Ended up joining the Army boxing team at West Point after football um, because we, you know, at the time we weren't that great. And I'm kind of a competitive person. And I, like, I wrestled again. I wrestled and did track in high school. Um, I went to state and wrestling and all that. Um, but I didn't think there was any, like, where's wrestling at the time going? There wasn't MMA or anything. It was just right. like, so I went and did football because I'm a meathead and I was like, I'm a football player. What uh, position? I played outside linebacker and defensive end. Nice. And then, um, yeah, so West Point didn't work out because, I don't know, concussions aren't real good for academics. Um, but I loved boxing. I loved fighting. I loved, you know, whatever. Uh, so, but, so I left West Point <clears throat> in the year, I guess, 2000. Oh, it might have been 2001. Early, no, year 2000. Came back to Orange County and stayed at my mom's house for like a month and realized like I got to get the hell out of here. I'm like too old to be living at my mom's house. I felt yeah. like a failure. And um, so I moved to San Diego with my buddies that were like that I grew up with since like third grade. Like we moved to San Diego. They all went to San, um, UC San Diego. So I moved down there. I didn't have a job or anything. So I just moved down there and got a job as a telemarketer. 
super sick. It was the only job I could find. It was the worst. So I'm like the nicest person. Hello? Hello? Would you Dude, like to? It was, no. yeah, it was horrible. So like, I'm definitely like very sympathetic to certain telemarketers. Yeah. But now as I get older, I find myself like, that's not a way to sell stuff. That's not, I'm not buying it's it. It's horrible. Like you're it's horrible. It's horrible. So yeah, I was making like, you can make your own hours. It was the best gig though ever because I would do like, work like 15 hours a week. Seven dollars an hour. I don't know whatever it was. I was just trying to like finagle as much surfing as I could at blacks and scripts, as much as like I lived off of Regents, like right up by right by the university. And my buddy would go to the university, and then I was going to like community college to finish. Mm. And um, basically, then I was always partying at P Bar and Grill at that time. And I got a job working at P Bar and Grill because I was always there anyway. So I figured I might get paid just to be there. Shout out to Castry. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the shuffleboard. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny. Yeah. Because, uh, so I got a job working there and I would, um, you know, surf during the day and work at P. Ron Grill at night and go to school during the day. And, um, pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune into Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8 30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Yeah, and then let's see what else. Oh, yeah, so I met – so this is how this thing takes kind of a funnier turn where it allowed me to go from like surfing to just my true life. Like so I had a friend that I worked with at PB Bar and Grill and he trained dolphins and sea lions for the Navy uh, during the day and then he worked at the PB the P- Bar and Grill at night. And so he was leaving to go train dolphins in Hawaii for some like interaction place. And he told me because I had a military background and a um, waterman-like background or whatever that I'd be a perfect fit for this job. And at the time, it was like, oh, okay, sure. And he was like, here, just call this guy on his phone number. And my interview was like basically an hour of talking about surfing (laughs) with my boss at the time. So I got hired for the dolphin training job at the U.S. Navy, which is funny, as a civilian. And... It's kind of a trip. So I had no idea. All I knew was like, I'm cool. I love animals. Yeah. And um, I love the water, you know, and I get to dive every day. You're going to pay me to dive. This is perfect. And I get to drive boats. So like my very first week at that job was um, driving around up in Oceanside. We were up in Oceanside working and one of the dolphins saw a whale and it got spooked. So it took off. So like right before this, right before this like session, we would call it with the dolphin taking them out in the open ocean and working them to try to find targets and things like that. We had to go fill the boat up. So we went to fill the boat and the guy in Oceanside was like, hey, uh, you guys usually get a case of beer when you fill up the boat. And we're like, uh, okay. So this is highly illegal. This is a long time ago. I think the Statue of Liberty <laughs> limitations is gone. Full disclosure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they would charge up the uh, beer as fuel on the card. And so we got a case of beer. Uh, I think it was like Coors Light or Bud Light or something, nothing but the best. And then we went back out on this Boston Whaler, 22 foot Boston Whaler, to go train a dolphin. And like this is literally like the very first day. I started working there. The first day I met my boss and he was like, I'm going to take you up to Oceanside. That's where we're working. So we go up there and I'm 22 years old. I think it's like 2001, March, 2001. 
And oh, by the way, like two weeks of working at PB Ron Grill, I met my wife too. So I just <laughs> a lot of life changes. It was a lot of life changes in a very short amount of time. So I, yeah. So the dolphin saw a whale, got spooked, and so I'm driving this whaler with a beer in my hand, driving around looking for this dolphin that ran off because she got scared by a whale. And I remember saying to myself, like, this is the fucking best job ever. <laughs> this shit is awesome. And I'm getting paid, like, $10 an hour, which at the time was, like, I made it, like, out of the ghetto, like, rich. Yeah. Like, I got my first record deal, and it's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, literally what I thought. Like, it's happening. <laughs> this is the pinnacle of my life. Everything has come, you know. <laughs> I must have did something right. So, yeah, I did that job for 12 years. Wow, and so, time. yeah, we would, uh, I was on the dive team, so we would travel, you know, around the world if necessary, wherever there's exercises for the military, bring the dolphins. I mean, I could tell you stories about that for days, but like we'd bring the dolphins and then we would have to be the mobile like dive team for them to check the marks, what the dolphin's doing and all that. And then they would feed them accordingly. <laughs> but like, I mean, we'd probably do bounce diving, like, you know, 20, 30 bounce dives a day and every time would be on like a target or something they marked or LLOs we would call them. Okay. So there's MLOs which are like mine like stuff, you know. Okay. There's LLOs which are lobster like objects. So lobster. So that dolphin would like mark lobsters, like things that had lobsters on them and we're like we'd pop up and be like, "Hey, mark it on the GPS." Like, there's a bunch of LLOs down there. That's crazy. And we would just pillage, like, lobster. Totally, like, legal for the most part. I mean, we'd have our license and stuff, but, like, we would definitely, seafood was had a lot in my house. You know? <laughs> Basically, lobster was a commodity. <laughs> yeah, so I don't even dive that much for lobster because it's just like, uh, you know. If I wanted, I guess I could get it at work. Were they know? monster sizes or were they? Yeah, I mean... Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Because yeah. some of the places we dove, most of the places we dove, nobody could dive. San Diego Bay, we were allowed to dive in the bay. Oh. And you would just find this wreck there that's been there forever. The dolphin would mark. Okay, so one time I remember this. This is so funny. In the middle of the channel, no one's diving in the middle of the channel, but the dolphin marked something in the middle of the channel. And so they send me down, and it's, you know, 50, 60 feet. I don't remember. Yeah, it's the channel, San Diego Bay. Something and you got one breath or you got the tank? I got the tank, got the tank. yeah, at this point, because the one breath gets started happening later on, I guess. But um, So we would just go. I went down, and I just see, like, a couple of bars, and then nothing but, like, hundreds of sets of eyes just staring back in the antenna. And it was, like, the biggest lobster habitat I've ever seen. Like, just, there was, like, a few, look like, metal holes or something and then probably like hundreds of lobster so i kind of just froze like you know five feet above the ground i didn't even know it was like one of those like i don't even know which one to go for you know how it's like you see a big school of fish and you're like "Ah, it's kind of hard to like single out one yeah so i just looked for the biggest one i could find and i grabbed him and then i literally just started like I bear hugged him and then i just started grabbing with my other hand just grabbing lobsters and stuff in there i had like four I mean, you're just getting pelted with lobster in the face. and It's just everywhere. And I came up, and the guys were all waiting for, like, hey, what was the mark? Like, how close was it? 
was it good? What was it? And I just come up screaming. Like they probably thought I had like a dive injury or like yeah. a great white shark or some, I don't know. I came out screaming saying, there's lobster everywhere. Hit Mark, Mark. Like just mark it. Like I'm flipping out. Because <laughs> all I care about like is just my little water adventures. And, right. you know. And so the guy's like, what's the mark? I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's just, just mark it. Put it on the GPS. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'll never tell that location, but that's neither here nor there. But literally, yeah, um, just, I mean, my biggest lobster I think I've ever got was like 13 and something, some change. That's a monster. And it was an accident. It was a free diving at work because we had, I was working sea lions too. And sea lions mark something and drop something at the same time. So I just dove down. It was only 30 feet of water by a pier. And I dove down to like get this thing he dropped and I saw the set of antenna, you know, and I reached into this like big metal box or whatever the hell they just throw over the pier. Who knows? And this thing like grabbed me back. And I remember like I reached in and I grabbed this thing and I feel him just like grab me around my and I'm like, oh, shit. So I reached in and grabbed the other one and I ended up like bear hugging this thing. And then its tail went between my legs. And it felt like I don't even know if I grabbed the goddamn like ancient spider or something because the thing just, you know, grabbed my it was Alien, man. Dude, yeah. <laughs> predator movie. And it Bye. grabbed me around my midsection, and I had his tail between my leg, and I came up, and my buddy Kevin, who I work with to this day, was like, you got a lobster? Because he sees the antenna sticking out of the water. And I'm like, get over here now, dude. And I threw it in the boat, and his jaw just, like, dropped. And I was like, holy shit, that's the biggest lobster <laughs> I've ever seen, you know? And so it was actually funny um, – I didn't even eat that guy. I got a picture with him on my flippy phone. Yeah. Little razor. Yeah, I'm holding him and I don't even know where the thing is. You know, half the pictures I don't have. But I'm holding him up and he's grabbing me around my waist. And it's just like, yeah. And then I discreetly dropped him somewhere else. Like somewhere where he's not going to be messed with. Because that that lobster is probably like 70 years old. You know, Watch the big ones go. Yeah, and so the producers, yeah. So I let him go out of respect. I was just always thinking, like, you've been alive. I can't imagine the, sh- the shit that you've seen. You've been alive for 70 years, even in your little hole or wherever you were, and you're going to die at the hands of me? Yeah. Like, really? No, dude, you're good. Like, and you earn respect. Yeah. Go back. Go back. Yeah, it's cool, man. I let him go, and um, it was just a cool little experience, you know? Um so, yeah, that was the – it was kind of like – yeah, that was the one little – that's probably the biggest lobster I ever got for sure. We had a couple of them we called Larry and Lola mm-hmm. that we kept. If anybody's ever paid attention at Ocean Enterprises in San Diego, they do this opening um, – they do an opening of like grand opening lobster season, biggest lobster wins all this stuff. Well, pay attention to the – Guys that win it every year, they have military shirts on. I'll just say that. Uh, yeah. They have the hidden spots. Yeah, hidden, hidden spots. Like we'll go out and we had Larry and Lola one year and we were determined to win it. And so we got them. They were like about 10 pounds. Yeah. And we took two milk crates and we zip tied them together with Larry and Lola in, inside two milk crates. And we would go down there and feed them fish that like leftover fish from like the dolphins like you know, they fall on the ground or something and you can't, you don't feed it to the animals. So you just 
would feed Larry and Lola every day and grow them. Oh, you purposely <laughs> grew your own <laughs> yeah, lobster. Dude. Oh, jeez. Well, and the oh, thing okay. is, though, it's kind of stupid because they're so slow growing. Right. It wasn't like we were going to grow them. We just had them as our pet lobster until opening day lobster season. And it's like, <laughs> look what we got. Yeah, totally like shady. But I mean, I say that jokingly. Um, this is again, this is probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Before there were laws. <laughs> yeah, before this I had, the wild before I had a moral compass, day. I guess, right? Like, <laughs> that would be cheating. Absolutely, don't do that. Um, so that was our little scam. Um, but yeah, pay attention. It's all Navy divers. It's right. Like, no, yeah, those are my boys. But uh, anyways, so yeah, that's the lobsters. I mean, hundred, like my daughter would call me and be like, Dad, or my wife would call me, hey, Haley wants lobster for dinner. Like, oh, okay, and just jump off the end of the pier is eight feet of water and it'd be a five pound bug on like a locker that we threw over or something. Yeah. And it became a lobster habitat. And then you grab you know, one I always grab like one lobster and then go home and then if you you know w- one thing that's cool about um lobster burritos, making lobster burritos is if you get one lobster, like you know, as spear fishermen we're all like sustainability, 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 and absolutely without a doubt. And I'd watched guys pillage that I didn't agree with um, at work or whatever, like just absolutely pillage. And my whole thing was like, if my wife calls me and says we want lobster tonight, I'll get like a a decent lobster, decent bug or something. And I'll take the meat out and I'll chop it up into little pieces. And, you know, you cook it up and then like literally one five pound lobster like can feed a whole family with lobster burritos. Yeah. You know, and so that's kind of like, I just take what you need for dinner and that's it. All that is, is just a great excuse to go out again. So that's right there. That's why, that's kind of my whole thing. Like, um, you know, my whole perception when I spearfish is I'm looking for one fish usually, or I'm looking for just what I'm going to eat for dinner. Right. I don't need, you know, if I get a giant fish, then my boys are getting hooked up. You know, and I and I kind of drop off fish at people's doorsteps and things like that. <laughs> cool, right. you know. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of my whole thing. Um, I'd rather get one giant fish than a bunch of little ones, for sure. Um, yeah, it's fun. I like hunting. That's I think you, I think you nailed it right there. It's like fall in love with the process of getting the fish, not be greedy of the reward. Yeah. You know, it's like there's been plenty of times where I've gone out and never caught anything, but it was just oh god, fun to go yeah. out, you know, and just try. And well. I try to say, like, I'm probably the most unsuccessful spear fisherman of all time. I, I think, like, among all my friends, like, I would go out, you know, every week looking for white sea bass, the mystery white sea bass. And every time I would come back empty-handed. But every time I'd go out, I'd tell my wife, we're going to have fish, we're going to have sea bass tonight. And my wife would say, well, you're going to stop at the store on the way home, you know? <laughs> and then my mother-in-law would say, what's the cost of uh, sea bass per pound, Brett? now or what, you know? So I constantly get ridiculed, ridiculed, but you know what? It's like, I, like you said, it's, I guess that's it. It's the process. It's the fact that I'm spending time in the ocean. And even though I may not see a sea bass, I saw a lot of other cool things. And, you know, I've had a lot of first in the ocean. And the cool thing about, I would say like, I'm still having first in the ocean. And what I mean by that is like, first time you see this, first time you see that. Like even in our trip to Baja, I was like, the first time I think 
I mean, there was a lot of firsts actually. Just that the volume of fish there was like I've never jumped in ten feet of water and been schooled up by so many yellowtail in my life. That was a magical moment where it's like your whole entire vision was yeah. just yellowtail or and, bonito or whatever. Yeah, and Sargo. ten feet of water. Whoa. And 10 feet of water, it was like, a tr- I've just never been that shallow. And had I thought it was funny to be able to shoot fish without even properly loading your gun. Because like, you'd be like, I don't even have time to ban this thing. As no, I've done, it, I've done it a few times where I didn't even attach my shooting line. I just reloaded and just fired it. Yeah, as I did yeah. that one and got, yeah. got one of the yellows. I was laughing. I yeah. was like, uh, this is interesting. So funny. So, yeah, so now, so I guess back to the whole friggin' life story, man. Like, um. There's all kinds of sidetracks, but I uh, went, so I did that dolphin job for 12 years and then 2012, I went to work with um, underwater robots doing the same job the dolphins were doing. They just got replaced basically essentially by the underwater robots. Dude, robots are taking even dolphins' yeah. jobs, guys. Dude, That's- Skynet, bro. <laughs> no, it's safe. We're talking UAVs? Those- yeah, underwater drone vehicles. Yeah. yeah. Well, underwater. No, they're UM. They're not UAVs. UUDVs? We're calling them UUVs. They're underwater unmanned vehicles. Oh, okay. Um, or uh, underwater autonomous vehicles, gotcha. AUVs. Um, but yeah, I do that now. With I'm attached to a um, EOD platoon. Yeah. And so... We work over in uh, Point Loma, and we just kind of do deployments with them. We're like training and subject matter experts, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's fun because that job has allowed me a lot of travel and meet a lot of people. And also, like, I think the best part about it is go to places that are based around water. Like, it's pretty awesome. You get off the coast of Africa where there's pirates um, other places we won't talk about but like um, yeah and you're like wow there's a lot of fish here well because piracy kind of scares people away right so you know I'm jumping on a seamount 10 miles off the coast of East Africa and like a 90 pound grouper will swim up to you you know because it's never seen a diver before has no idea that's insane. Or like, yeah, and a couple other of my boys kind of have stories about that too. Um, yeah, pretty insane. The Red Sea is amazing. Um, again, the volume of fish at some of those places is just, yeah. And then, of course, Guam. Shout out to Guam. All the boys in Guam, the One Drop boys. Um, yeah, you have a spear group out there, right? Yeah, One Drop spear fishing. Um, it's just a... Basically, a group of guys that kind of have a similar mindset as far as centered around conservation. And, and literally, I will say these just absolute maniacs about spearfishing. Right. Like, yeah, I love it. I thought, you know, it's fun to find people that are just as insane as you are about certain things. And then it, what happens, I feel like your progression with spearfishing understanding just goes like the learning curve just goes through the roof, you know? And so, um, and it's always nice to go to new places and just ping on the local guys that have been diving there forever. So that's a really good lesson for everybody. All the places I've traveled, I think 
you know, when you go places, you're a guest in someone's home and you need to treat it like that. But you also need to be cognizant of you might really have a good working knowledge of the way fish are where you live, but a same species of fish can behave completely different Interesting. other places. So what I do is like, um, is I just meet up with local guys, local fishermen, whoever, and I just talk to people. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like I just talk to people and basically share similar passion, right? Like the ocean brings everybody together. We're all crazy about certain things. Like I love surfing and I love spearfishing um, for different reasons. Totally. Um, but the thing is, if you meet people that are just like that, I mean, it's just, you can have friends all over the world. I mean, a lot of people do it, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, so I've been doing that job now for the past six years. Um, yeah, I've got basically kind of managed to finagle myself a job where I'm either on the water or underneath it. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.